Hey everybody, welcome to Nerds of the Old Republic. I'm Adam. I'm Sean. And I'm Mike. And we are here giving our first taste test of my uh, inaugural, my first Bloody Mary ever made, so I'm nervous as fuck. But uh, let's see, how would you describe it? What does it look like? Well, first of all, now that I know I can swear, I'm going to say... Yeah, this is an explicit podcast. It looks pretty fucking awesome, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't even know what to make of it. It's like, how do I drink it? (laughs) It looks like a fucking work of art. (laughs) Now that we have established that we can swear. Yeah, there's an E next to the podcast name. More akin to sculpture than drink, I would say. True. True. You are a poet, sir. So, so basically, there's a little lemon on the edge there, because that's my lazy garnish. And then I got some bacon, and some pimento olives, and a slice of celery, which no one will eat. It's just there to look green. Oh, hey, no. I might eat that. <laughs> oh, well, good for you for being healthy. And then a chicken wing, which was made to Buffalo's hot specifications. So Perfect. it should be hot. You use Frank's, of course. Yeah, only Frank's. We are not sponsored by Frank's Red Hot Sauce. Although, if you'd like to, Frank's, we are available to take sponsorships. You certainly could. (laughs) Certainly could. I have to say, usually bacon is enough for me, but the chicken wing submerged in to the Bloody Mary is truly a a stroke of genius. Well, thank you. You know, when we talked about the book being World War Z, my first thought was, what is the most (laughs) appropriate drink ever, even if I don't drink it? And it's a Bloody Mary, which I don't drink, Mm. but... I just wanted as much meat and red thing in our hands as we talked about this book. I'm also glad you didn't go with the the zombie, which I believe is a drink. It is a terrible drink. But it's a it's terrible rum, drink. So. It's rum-based. Yeah. All right, are we, are we ready to give this a go here? Let's do it. All right, All right don't hate me, please. <laughs> First thoughts. There's a lot happening there. Yeah. First of all, my hat's off to you, sir. This Thank you. fine Bloody Mary. Yes. Thank you. It definitely is on the spicier side, which is how I enjoy my Bloody Marys. I got worried when you said a lot happening because I'm like, yeah, I literally threw my kitchen sink in here hoping that I could hide any mistakes. Oh, that explains the hair. No, I'm just yeah, well, sorry, my dog sheds a lot. Ah. Well, with the ex- possible exception of, of the vegetable, uh, there's nothing that could have gone wrong here. This is just many good things mixed uh, right into the same glass. Awesome. This is, uh, awesome. This is my <laughs> first handmade Bloody Mary. Mm. Typically, I think I've just gotten mixes on resorts and things, which mm-hmm. I never really enjoyed, but... This has got a real savory kind of, uh, I don't know, it's it's good. It's just a good flavor in it. Possibly dangerous. Well, the night is young, gentlemen. Why don't we, um, you know, imbibe a little bit, and then we'll talk about the book in a couple minutes. Sounds good. All right, now that we've sufficiently socially lubricated ourselves here, why don't we... Uh, Start talking about Max Brooks's 2006 World War Z. What did you guys think? For me, this book was more something that I respected than enjoyed. I get that. I think I know what you mean, but like, it's, what do you it mean? was in that way. It was not unlike a Bruce Springsteen album, you know, which is something I've tried my entire adult life to appreciate. <laughs> oh, you mean Bob Dylan? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Mike no, no. and I have a long-standing beef about Bob Yes, Dylan. we do, and, and perhaps that's another <laughs> podcast, and, and perhaps a whole series of podcasts <laughs> in which I will educate you. Oh, sure, of sure. Tell me how the man came around. Hey, that's good, man. Keep going. Do, do no, some more. Do right. some more. You were saying. So you appreciate. <laughs> I, have, I have tried my entire adult life as a, as a music aficionado to get into Bruce Springsteen. I respect the man. I respect his art. I just don't enjoy his music. I get it. And my thoughts... 
as I was reading this book, were similar to that. I, I thought it was masterfully done in terms of the research, first and foremost, mm. that must have gone into this. The sprawling, you know, I mean, this this spanned the entire world and many different cultures. And um, I also appreciated the stylistic use of the oral history. Mm. I thought that was, you know, a cool idea. Um, but it never at any point came together as, you know, a, a enjoyable narrative for me. It was uh, it was difficult to read at times, if, if I'm being honest. You know, I think I felt the same way, like, intellectually, I loved it. And I'm like, yeah, Ru uh, China would totally try to fuck us over. We would totally ignore them. Oh, I mean, we did. It's called 2020, <laughs> but we'll get to that. But exactly the same thing, like the lack of a protagonist who had to overcome some sort of problem sorry for getting teachery on you but like that made it hard for me to love the book as much as i liked the book yeah i i, I wasn't expecting the series of vignettes sort of style and again disorganized around no central mm -hmm. figure and i kept waiting for him to come back to some of the people that i was intrigued with and their stories like the girl who was digging up frozen zombies in Canada oh, and all the garbage. That. I'm like, that's a pretty cool person. When is he going to revisit that? He never did. But, um, you know, I I had never read it. And when it came out, I was a young teacher, and I remember a lot of my students reading it and speaking highly of it, loving it. I'm like, eh, okay, so 13-year-old boys love this book. Well, why do I want to read it? And then when you brought it up as something to read, and I got into it, I, I started to understand a little bit more about why they liked it so much. Because of that almost like video game esque feel that some of it has, like there's just these little cutscenes almost that you're like unlocking every time you get to the next level, and it sort of tells you the cohesive war of the zombies there. Yeah, it's but, got whatever the first section is, then the Great Panic, right. then the Turning Point. Yeah, right. I, I just like like Mike. I, it was I got to the end with this feeling of all right, where's the story? And maybe that all would have worked better. At the oral history, like, I, I did respect that. I did like that. But if he had narrowed the focus, kept, like, you know, some central characters and revisited those characters. One of my biggest objections to the book was the end when we're supposed to be hearing from certain characters again. For the first time, after 350 pages, <laughs> we come back to some characters and it's supposed to be, like, post-war, yeah. you know. And that should have that should have been, like, a moving moment. And it wasn't because I didn't remember who the fuck these characters were. <laughs> yep. Yep. That was yeah. the big thing is I had trouble for me. The big thing is I had trouble remembering what was going on because it was China doctor, otaku, then South African. I mean, some things stood out to me. We've already kind of chatted about Red Ecker and um, the snow zombies, which yeah. I want to come back to. But it's yeah, exactly that. What happened? Oh, yeah. Zombies. Right. Right. Yeah. I just had a thought. Shit. While you're thinking of your thought. <laughs> there you go. Fill the dead air, man. <laughs> uh, I read an interview with Max Brooks, who, if we haven't pointed out yet, we should point out, is uh, Mel Brooks' son, and that's pretty awesome. Yeah, fun uh, fact. You know, there's a there's a legend right there. Um, but I read an interview with Max Brooks, and I thought this was really interesting. He said that uh, he doesn't view himself as a horror writer. In fact, he doesn't really care for horror. He views himself as what he called an anti-horror writer. Hmm. And what he meant by that was he feels that horror fans are comfortable people who are trying to be scared, like, for their amusement. Hmm. 
whereas what he's doing is that he is fucking terrified of the world that he lives in. And he is trying to write a story to cope with his fears of the world that he lives in. Hmm. I did find that interesting. I thought that was a pretty cool point. That's interesting. There wasn't any of the typical, like, jump scare buildup. It was really uh, very... uh, anesthetized or, or almost like like antiseptic it, there was just nothing that you would really assign to a zombie thriller to it it was really more of like uh yeah this shit happened yeah yep. and we're okay now it reminded me of uh, this is my thought from before it reminded me a lot of the postman and if you have any fucking <laughs> idea what i'm talking about i do and I i'll tell you why because tom <laughs> petty has a cameo in yes that movie. tom petty is a great cameo because he's a stoner that runs a freaking waterfall right. bridge thing so tom petty plays tom petty pretty much yeah he actually does he <laughs> they even say i remember you from before the uh before everything he's like yeah man you used to be famous yes. and he's like yeah um, sort of yeah <laughs> but uh it's uh what's his name the uh, dance of the wolves uh Jack London? No, no, the, the, the actor Kevin Costner. That's oh. right. It's one of his many post-apocalyptic movies of that era. And instead of Waterworld, he made it where basically the Postal Service saves the world, <laughs> and um, it ends in very much the same way. Like he beats like Penny Annie Warlord kind of thing, and it's just like again, it's a series of little like vignettes of what's happening in the world. And the postman triumphs, and the next thing you know, it cuts, and it's like, everything's great now. They've got power again, and they're back in Washington, D.C. People are wearing clothes that weren't made 30 years ago. And it's it's just, there's no explanation for how they got there. It just Quick sort of transition. is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin Costner, though. Yeah. I mean, besides that and Waterworld. <laughs> we should have a cast just on the just merits of Kevin Costner post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic fiction. I would like to see Waterworld. Let's save it for the Patreon. There you go. That's right. That'll be there. There you go. Patreon subscribers, there's your level one, $1 a month subscription. You get to live watch Waterworld with us. And I would imagine there'll be people will be lining up to throw dollars at us. Well, I will be slapping my junk against the microphone too several times because it's Patreon. You got to have. They deserve more than Kevin Costner Waterworld. Exactly. Frankly, that's expected. I don't even think that will distinguish us. Right. No, unfortunately. To go back to a point you were making, though, about there wasn't the typical zombie fare in the book. Um, one of my favorite scenes in the book uh, was a moment where there was typical zombie fare, and then he did something really interesting with it, I thought. I don't know if you guys remember, early in the book, there's a scene where there's all these people that are fleeing one zombie-riddled town. Is it South Africa? No, no. I think I think we're in the United States for this oh, one. Okay. Now, he's on, they're, they're on a highway that's leading them to another zombie-infested town, hmm. and they all fled at once, so they're all stuck in a traffic jam. And they're moving very slowly, if at all. And the army of zombies is slowly progressing up the line oh, of traffic. yeah, right. yeah. Smashing windows, eating people alive in their cars. And there's this horrifying image of, like, a horse trailer that's violently right, shaking back right. and forth. I remember that, yeah. Now, that seems to me like a typical zombie right. scene. More visceral. But yeah. then, what Max Brook does after that is he turns it into this interesting analysis of human nature. Why would humans do that? Why would they flee knowing they weren't going to go anywhere on this road because it was already backed up. Even if they could, they were going to another town that was just like their town. They weren't going to be saved. And then he starts bringing up, and I should have looked this up. He brings up a study. I don't know if this was a legit study or if Max uh, Brooks made it up. But uh, apparently a scientist or a sociologist or somebody went to a city and picked a random building and lined up outside of a random door. I do remember that. Oh, remember I this? remember that, yeah. And slowly but surely, people began lining up behind It was in Russia, I think. Was it? Yeah, yeah the study was from a, 
feels right. Well, and I thought that was a really interesting thing that the author did there because he took this typical zombie scene of people being massacred in cars, right. which is horrifying. And then he turned it into this interesting examination of why people make decisions under duress the way that they do. And I thought that was fascinating. That's the real triumph, I think, of the book is just the study of human nature across different spectrum and what people would do. And you, your reaction, my reaction when I read that was like, get, get the fuck out of your car and run, you idiots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why are you, but then I've you seen think, too many zombie films not to. And the right. zombies are slow. Max Brooks is yes. very clear on that point. But yeah. when you think about what people will do is there's that like dilemma in the moment. Like, do I stay in the car where I know I have my own like glass and, and uh, steel cage around me or do I take my chances and run for it? And we always, we see it time and again, as he keeps saying over and over again, people are lemmings. And they'll just do what feels normal to them. And like that means sitting in traffic and not going anywhere. Or sitting in your car and waiting for some zombie to punch its fist through your window right. and eat you. It's That's the probably the real terror of the book, is just the human nature of it all. The way everyone reacted. Or like the people who, um, and you wanted to talk about the, the cold north there. Yeah. They all try to escape to Canada, which is sort of the, the you know, again, we can make some jokes about that all we want. But yeah. everyone flees north. To where the, the zombies apparently freeze and totally trash the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And basically just human nature is the worst part of this book. The zombies aren't really the bad or part. Or the virus, man. Well, it, it gets back to the whole The Walking Dead. Oh, yeah. we are The Walking Dead. Oh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but, but that's the idea. It's the, um, like, the people are really the worst problem in all of that. And that's what she's like. She's talking about how they have to dig up all this trash. They have to try and reclaim this area because it's been completely ruined by all the fat Americans who went <laughs> north of the border with their game cubes. Yes, that did date it. But I'm like, okay, yeah, I get a GameCube 2006. I had one too. Was that really? I, I, I skipped that generation of console. Was the GameCube the thing in the early 2000s? It was the thing because you could uh, rip GameCube games, so you could borrow really? them from Blockbuster. Copy them on your CD burner, wow, and then play them for yourself. So the GameCube was an optical drive spinning disc thing. It all was. Oh, I'm thinking of the N64. That was the last was the chunky cartridge. thing. Yeah. Which one had GoldenEye? <clears throat> N64. Okay. As long as we're doing little side tangents here, there is one remaining blockbuster in the yes. United States. Is it Alaska? Alaska? It's Alaska. Oh, and shout you out to the Alaska actually, Blockbuster. Yeah. That's amazing. You can actually rent this fucking place out for the yeah. night. I want to go to Alaska for that reason. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't need the hiking. I don't need anything else. I want to go there and rent Blockbuster. It needs to have a little Caesars next door, though. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that was Caesars. But that was my, like, my childhood growing up in rural Lockport. Was like you know a fun weekend was mom and dad would would open their purse strings a little bit and we'd go to Blockbuster okay kids you pick out a video <laughs> and a video game and mom and dad will pick out a video and then we'll go next door and get the two for you know pizza pizza deal or whatever we'd go yeah. home and we'd watch probably Star Wars or a Mel Brooks movie another shout out to Mel Brooks go, probably man. Spaceballs or uh, well Blazing Saddles was a was a staple in our family or, or Airplane or Naked Gun one of those oh, kind yeah. of movies Naked and then Gun. my brother and I would go and play Nintendo games and my mom and dad watched some softcore porn that they rented <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to reopen some childhood wounds so maybe we could go back to the book <laughs> oh you wanted to talk about the uh, Frozen North stuff yeah the Frozen so I know this is out of order but the Frozen North stuff is interesting to me because even when we like declare victory in America, we declare victory in all the other places, China, of course, being the last place to declare victory, they're still killing zombies in the Frozen North. Yeah. And there are actual movies that are on the same 
like plain as that. So Dead Snow is one that comes to mind where there are frozen Nazi zombies. Of course, they're always Nazis. They're the perfect bad guy. That come back, yeah, and, and restart the zombie apocalypse. Hmm. Um, so it just intrigues me that kind of thinking about like the human nature said like we are the we are the plague we're the the virus we never really get rid of them in the book yeah they're still there we're still fighting them and we're still fighting ourselves and all the aftermath that we made right but uh the fact that one slip-up restarts the plague yeah they never explained anything about the plague it was that we don't know where it came from we don't know how to stop it all we know is that we got to kill them all that and that's in the first section with that uh was that in China where that happened? And the doctor goes to the village. Yes, New right. But he calls his friend, right? And then his friend is like the one who's like, "Don't worry, it's going to be okay." And that's how he knew that everything was fucked up and yeah. shit it at the yeah. end. Which implies that there is backstory to the virus, but it's I, as far as I can recall, it's not given in the book. He leaves it very vague. I, yeah. I'm sure yeah. it's intentional, obviously, not to to delve into the the details of it, but it's. Again, it's one of those moments where you just wanted a little bit more closure. Like, did they ever wind up figuring out how to stop it? Will they, like, in Walking Dead, will they all just turn into zombies when they die? Is it only transmitted through... I think he implied that it's only transmitted through a bite. Right, yeah. Or close contact with a zombie or a zombie's icker. Yeah, it's not 28 days later where, like, if you get it in your mouth, right. you're, you're done for. Right. I thought one of the most interesting parts, and I guess getting back to the... You know, I didn't think of it as terrifying at the moment, but now that I'm re-envisioning it, the kids swimming and diving for mm. things in those lost cities in China and mm. stuff reaching up Patient out of the water zero. to grab them, or the stuff that was going on in the ocean where basically they're just incorporate still at the bottom of the pressure ocean and are able to right. like hit yeah. a, a, the hull of a submarine. That's the one thing that I think he punted on that really left me angry was the physiology of it. And you wanted more specifics? Well, no. I wanted real, <laughs> realistic. I wanted realistic zombies. Damn it! <laughs> you know, just the idea. First of all, zombies never make any sense. They're they're really cool cinematic villains because they look badass and yeah. they're this unstoppable you know horror. But the the mere concept of how they function, I want I want a fucking zombie book that explains to me. How a dead organism can still animate without oxygen-rich blood, without all the things that we know life absolutely needs. He kind of hand-waves and said, oh, there's brown goo in them, and we don't really know how they kept moving, or how they withstood thousands of pounds of pressure at the bottom of the ocean and didn't just turn into, like, you know, gelatinous pancakes or whatever. It's like, these kinds of, like, ignoring basic physics and science, that, that to me, just pisses me off. And this point... Hits close to home for me because I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something that I loved about this book until I fucking hated about this book. <laughs> oh no, oh no! And it was the research early on. I was so impressed with all of that. I was like, mm. this guy is covering the whole planet, all these different you know cultures, and he's working all this stuff. And that must have taken so much research. Early in the book, uh, one of the people that get interviewed is a, a smuggler, and oh, I forget yeah. what country yeah. it's in, right? But uh, you know, goes back to Tibet, the the horse. Um, the horse trailer that's rocking back and forth. It was the human smuggler. It might have been Lhasa. Mm, okay, it was early in the book. I think sure. it was in Tibet somewhere. It very early, yeah. And, and so he, you know, this this he's giving all these details about the smuggling culture in this country, and not just what he does, but what there's different like types of smugglers mm -hmm. and everything. And he's just dropping all this information casually in like a three page section of the book. 
And every section is like that. So at first I was like, this, this is amazing. The, the research that must've gone into this was incredible. But by the end of the book, I'm reading three page chapters about different kinds of fucking diving suits, <laughs> which I don't give a fuck about. I yeah. want to go to the bottom of the ocean and I want to like kill zombies. Yeah. I don't need to know how the suit evolved over a period of years. <laughs> uh, you know, that was a transition for me as the book went on where I was just like, we, we get it. You used Google. You learned some things. <laughs> it was 2006, though. That was a lot of Googling. That was a lot, yeah. That was probably right. more of like a Yahoo at that point, right? He was, or he was asking <laughs> Jeeves about that. <laughs> I'll ask Jeeves. There we go. And I, I'll give him that. It was an impressive amount of research. Yeah. Because it was obviously a lot of fucking research. Oh, for, yeah. Oh, for sure. But he definitely got into the weeds on some random things. The diving suit. I mean, I got viscerally angry reading that section of the book. <laughs> Did you want to take the book and just throw it across the room, Mike? I may have done so if it were not a library book, and I respect my local library, so I did That's not right. do that. Shout out, <laughs> shout out to the library. Yes, please, patronize your libraries. Yeah. <laughs> they need it. Donate. Yeah, you know, the thing that I keep coming back to, like, the realism didn't bother me so much because, as we were saying, like, in the, in the B-roll earlier, just watching so many zombie films, I don't expect to ever find out what causes it i think romero's and 28 days later some of the few that i can think of that give you a genesis to mm -hmm. the plague still not explaining right so like 28 days later it's rage or whatever it is some shit like that they're, they're testing something on oh, the animals yeah. and it gets out and they just call it like the rage or whatever fuck and then uh romero is nuclear radiation mm -hmm. so like you know zombie plagues are always the fear that the writer has based on their place and time and knowing now what mike said about um max brooks saying like i'm just afraid of the whole fucking world he did a great job covering that yeah but it didn't drive me home like i didn't get to at the risk of being sexual here i didn't get to the climax <laughs> i didn't get to the resolution going oh thank god that's disgusting man. i'm sorry this is a nerd I've podcast had, i've had two Bloody Marys, and this one has had three shots in it, so... <laughs> Touche, my friend. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm enjoying the conversation, but it, it goes back to, like, it was very intellectual. And I thought that was great for reasons that it was different. And that's right. part of why I picked it, besides the whole parallel to what we can talk about, transitioning over to talking about uh, the current situation we find ourselves in. But it didn't strike me as a book that I would keep. And maybe that's why I couldn't find my copy. Hmm. I read it in 2008. I think I got it as a birthday present in 2008 hmm. or 2007, soon after it came out. I don't know what happened to it. So you I must not have liked that it. Table in the, uh, in the dining room there. Yeah, in the old house. It was <laughs> yeah. holding up my CD collection back go. in the day when 2006 <laughs> had CDs. Well, I think it's important, you know, to say that, you know, I mean, if... We're, we're criticizing it based on like, you know, our own views, obviously, because I, I think what we're criticizing it for, there are legions of fans that love this book passionately, True. and they would probably say this is the exact strength of the book. Please do not flame us. But, yes, please do not. That's right. And please listen to our, our next episode. No, Give bring us a it. chance. Fucking flame us. <laughs> if the world has taught me nothing now, it's like, just bring the hate, motherfucker. <laughs> That'll make us stronger. We're the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> all right that's a good point that's right we're gonna we're gonna this, this is that kind of podcast yeah by the way our social handles are at nerds of old republic all the socials find us you can flame us there i'm the webmaster on that one 
bring it. Yeah. yeah, Adam, you have to read all that shit, so that's, that's fine. Right. You, you guys can send that. I'll just on. mute all the shit that sounds dumb. But to your points, <laughs> um, you know that it's it's all it's pros and cons. You know that the strength yeah. of the book is is the detached sort of like let's look at this as if it really happened sort of a thing and. But what you lose is, you know, as you're talking about, like there's there's opportunities missed. There's a, there's another scene in the book early on where, um, you know, a wife is talking about how she, there's there's a page or two of setup, and that's it. Backstory on the family, and then all of a sudden there's zombies in their yard, and the husband uh, grabs a shotgun and says, "Get in the car and take the kids and drive." That's the one that drives north. Yes. Yeah. And then as she's pulling out, the last thing she hears is like, uh, you know, him firing the shotgun and she knows he's buying them time to escape. Now that should have been heartbreaking. Right. Yeah. And that should, should have been. been a really tragic moment. But of course, as a reader, we have no connection to this right. family. We've had five pages of them. Exactly. And if you feel any heartbreak at all, it's only because you did the work. You paused to think right. about what that was yeah. actually going to be like. Um, that, that pathos certainly does not come off the page. Oh, now that you said the word pathos, I, I feel like we need to out ourselves here. I don't think we've done it yet. We've we're, not yet. We are all high school English teachers. <laughs> so maybe that will change your opinion. Maybe we should edit that out in post, but it might be worthwhile mentioning that we get into this kind of shit and the weeds for this <laughs> yeah, way yeah. too much. So, sometimes we'll get in the weeds. Sometimes we'll keep it kind of light and, and airy, but this was kind of in our wheelhouse. So we, we went a little deep on this. So yeah. the pathos, you're like, fuck the characters, right? Like even, I mean, who should we care about the most in this book, right? Earlier in the B-roll, we talked about loving Redeker and feeling badly for him. Shrug? There's a there's no. a dog I think that gets beat up in one of the later chapters. That's if Iron I Legend. No. Yeah, well, with no, yeah, that was a, that was a dachshund. <laughs> Why do the dogs always get no, it in these zombie re- movies? I remember it was a dachshund because my yeah. family had dachshunds when I was yeah. growing up. I'm like, he's talking about a dachshund, and then he says it. I'm like, holy shit, that, a fucking zombie sniffing dachshund. That's kind of well. For me, that's the answer to that question for me. That's the character that I feel the most emotion for. You know, in this you know, whole book. I want. Sure. I'm glad you mentioned that because there was something I wanted to get to. My the hero of the book, and I think just like the completely one-dimensional action hero was that General Raj Singh, I think his name was. Yes! That guy was a badass! Yeah, the guy who they had to knock out to get out of the area because yes. he was going to stay and fight the zombie horde. And I, You know what? He's almost like that, like, he's like a tall tale character. He just sort of, he's sort of there. He's there when they blow up the that mountain pass. Mm-hmm. He's there when they're fighting in that place where they develop this sort of, like, phalanx, uh, uh, d- like, defense platform and then a helicopter mount. The guy's everywhere... Yeah. Where they need like that focal point hero, so you gotta wonder: is he real? Is he just like some sort of legendary figure that now it's like it's a his name is ascribed to all these different events? He was really interesting for me, and I wanted more of that guy. A footnote to the mountain pass: mm. that chapter or section or whatever we want to call it ends with a monkey whipping out his penis and pissing. Uh, <laughs> the guy's face well that's just that's if we get english teacher over here that's just max brooks laughing at his audience <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's the, that's, that's that some moment. james joyce shit there you want to pick up my footnotes <laughs> fuck you that chap that chapter was hardcore shit i mean yeah. like yeah. they were gonna blow up the past and kill all these people and all you know all of that happened and he gets separated from his buddy and he presumably gets ripped apart and yeah and then he's like there's this monkey and i looked in his eyes and we had this understanding and then he pulled his cock out and pissed on my face <laughs> How does, how and the section monkey, ends that way. How it's does a monkey great. pull his cock out, Mike? I'm just, I'm sure <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, this, this is a paraphrase, maybe not an exact quote. 
find the Mike, fur. Mike being the only person with the book is paraphrasing. <laughs> I, I don't know if I Good have it you, here. I should try it. to locate it. You took your notes on that. I one, borrowed it from the library <laughs> digitally because it, I had it I immediately know. then. How I does, took notes. Siri, how does a monkey pull out his cock? <laughs> I pictured one I of those, know. like, symbol playing, like, you know, and it has, yeah. like, the overalls on it. Oh, of course, yes, yes, yes. You know, we picked this book thinking that it was drearily like our current circumstances, minus the zombies. Boy. And did you feel that going through the books as you read it? I know Mike and I watched it, so that's a different situation on top of reading it. Yeah, you know, it's funny because the first few chapters, you're reading it, and it's like, oh, China. Oh, some kind of disease. Oh, man. Uh, and my, my first thought was, really, Adam? <laughs> I'm sorry. I have For those of you listening, I have a history of picking books that Mike and Sean just go, oh, man. <laughs> no, no, but in a good way. Um, I just... <laughs> That's kind. A, a, a good kind of chagrin. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I just, I felt like, like the parallels were eerie at times. And reading about it going like, Shit, did like Max Brooks like look into the uh, like the Orthanc stone and and see into the future there? And by the way, if you get that reference, you're in the right place. <laughs> and uh, just like saw that somehow some pandemic that originates in China is gonna bring the world to its knees. It's just it obviously not nearly as dramatic, but it's yeah. uh, just that weird echo of reality. I think reading it now really kind of affects you while you're reading it. In the same interview uh, that, that I referenced before, I think it was the New York Times, um, but this was obviously pre-pandemic, but he's talking about, you know, as part of that whole anti-horror conversation, he references a lot of things. I think he mentioned maybe SARS, and uh, he mentioned mm. uh, global warming, I think, and mm. uh, possibly the war on terror. I don't remember, but he mentions all these, like, global catastrophes. Oh, those, um, as, those calm days of 2006. That's correct. Oh, yeah. But he, he mentions all of these types of things as, you know, obviously his, you know, exploration of the zombie war is really his way of exploring these types of global catastrophes. And so I guess it's probably not a coincidence that we have a, a, a once in a century global catastrophe happening. And, and we notice that it's, it's, uh, alarming. The, uh, thing that stood out to me was, and I don't remember what section it was, but there's a part, and I think this is near a quote, if not an exact quote, where uh, they describe the people as waiting for their leaders to tell them what to do. Ugh. And damn it, that felt familiar. Yeah. 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 We all just take a big, long drag of our drink at <laughs> yeah. this point. If you could see, what we're all just kind of looking down at the floor right now. <laughs> yeah, the guy at the bar brooding over his whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> the Piano Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he just ends the podcast on The Piano Man. Well, the sad music from uh, from The Incredible Hulk, I think, would be the way to go, right? Oh, yeah, the sad walking music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's another deep cut there. I like it. You gotta, you gotta work. We are the nerds here. We gotta work that yeah. in occasionally. Yeah, we gotta get to it. And, <laughs> I am trying very hard to say I'm sorry for picking a book that was maybe a little too on the nose. Um, I mean, if nothing else, I think some of the differences, the parallels that did not carry over, we didn't see the nation as divided as we are now. 
So they were able to at least unify a little bit, or at least it seemed like the United States unified fairly fast you know, once it, they got it, their shit together. Can I jump in real quick? Yeah. It was interesting how he still brought up like the factional or the regionalization of the United States and a lot of those different vignettes with like the Air Force, the downed Air Force girl who was like making her way through Alabama and some of yeah. the things she was encountering there, and some of the when they were doing the sweep across America and the the pockets of. I don't know, like militia areas that they would discover. And it, it, it was interesting how prescient that was. And there's that fierce individualism, that fierce regionalism that is a big part of our, our, our nation and just the makeup of it. And it was just, again, I think that gets back to the real strength of the text is his ability to really analyze a lot of different human conditions. And he's doing that on a global scale. You know, I mean, that's definitely a strength of the book. He does that in the United States, but... I mean, there's just all these little subtle things in the mm-hmm. book uh, about different countries and different cultures. Mm-hmm. The Russian military it's, relationship. And it's yeah. easy to read yeah. those and just, you know, go right over it. But if, if you're actually thinking about the knowledge you would have to have to write those scenes, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't know all that shit. So that yeah. was definitely a strength of the text for sure. Well, being Mel Brooks' son, I'm sure he's traveled a bit too. I mean, you would have to assume, right? I would think so that Hollywood royalty gets around. Well, we also he's Anne Bancroft's son too, so I mean that is a double whammy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's some serious brains in that family. Yeah, Mel Brooks is uh, you know I will say I've said many times a genius, and uh, I remember mm. listening to him on uh, agreed maybe a, it was a podcast I think a few years back, and I think the guy was ninety or ninety one or something when he did the interview, and he's got a much sharper brain than most people I know. I mean he is just talking very quickly. Um, and, and cracking jokes and, and he's very sharp. And, uh, you know, I think Max Brooks from the way he's described in this New York times article is, is that way too. You know, he's, he's described as a very energetic, fast talking, uh, kind of person. And obviously we know from the book that he knows his shit too. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I guess Mike, that leads you and I to have a side convo for a sec about the movie yeah, we've been putting this off for about an hour now. Can I start this conversation? You just, may. I just want to ask this question. Shoot. What the fuck was that? <laughs> I. It was literally just The Great Panic. So for those of you who read the book, you know that The Great Panic was like the middle or the, the first third. And that was pretty much what Brad Pitt did was run through The Great Panic and visit all the places that was mentioned in the book. Yeah. Let's do pros and cons. Shoot. All right. Pro. Brad Pitt. <laughs> Great and everything. Con. Uh, ah, Fight Club. Yeah. Give me a Brad Pitt movie that wasn't great. Oh, what's the one where he plays Besides Apollo? Besides World War Z. What's that one? Where uh, he plays what? Apollo or something. Oh, you might be thinking of uh, like the Trojan War. Yeah, what the hell was that? Oh. Played, uh, Achilles. God, oh, Achilles. Achilles, yeah. God, that was awful. All right. That was awful. All right, but, well, that's my, I'm going to throw that out there. That's my pro, and I'm, yeah. that, that's the end of that list right yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> Con. Who is his wife? I don't know. And what happens to her? She kind of vanishes at a certain point. She does until the end of the movie when he finds them in whatever fucking Iceland, Greenland, or wherever he reunites with them because the plot apparently still sort of matters after two hours. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I have a pro. I have a pro. The the plane crashing into the mountain Mm. was a great metaphor for the movie. Oh, that was good. So, if you've not seen the Brad Pitt World War Z movie, it basically takes place at the start of the Great Panic and ignores the entire book. 
like, I love me a great zombie film. I will watch Dead and Breakfast and <laughs> Zombie, the Lucio Fulci Italian zombie film where a zombie fights a motherfucking shark underwater. <laughs> I'll believe that shit before I believe World War Z actually was tied to the book. Even even the little things that they could have done, they changed. Yeah. Like, the zombies, Max Brooks is explicitly clear that these zombies are slow as fuck. Yep. And that they're a threat because they come in huge numbers. So every time we see them in the movie, they are fast as fuck. Yep. And they jump 30 yards at a hop. Yeah. And they're in very small numbers, just tearing the shit out of everything. What, what was Max Brooks's involvement in the production of this movie? I think he sold the rights and the, walked yeah. So they dumped a dump truck full of money in his front yard and that was it? Would it, be, would it have been better had his father directed it? Yeah, that would have been a much better film. <laughs> that would have been a much different film, but yeah. Uh, Mel, if you're listening and you're still directing movies during a pandemic, good for you. Pick up those rights, buddy. Pick them up. Oh, we got a hashtag of in the. Uh, in oh, the, we yeah. Gotta, you know, I'll mention. Call this my one. agent, Mel. There was, you go. I'm paraphrasing again, but it was mentioned in the New York Times article that Max Brooks um, had no involvement in the movie because if he had agreed to be a part of it, then he would have wanted it to be like his book. So Fair. he basically sold the rights and walked away, and that he has maintained sense that he's not going to boycott his own movie, but that statement kind of speaks for itself. Mm. Yeah. I mean, can we just talk about the Battle of Yonkers and what a big fucking whiff that was, that the movie did not have the turning point in the whole right. fucking war? What, what, what even was the turning point in the movie? It was something about, like, he injected himself with a fatal disease in a yes. lab and they ignored him? Yeah, the zombie ignored him. He walked right past the zombie right? because he was ill. And the cure, so Sean is looking very confused currently. Yeah. So in the film, he's traipsing around the world trying to find out where Patient Zero was, which is why the fuck do you care, well, first of all. If anything, if, if Hollywood has taught me anything, then Patient Zero also has the cure for the disease embedded somewhere in its genetic code or in its blood. Rolls Obviously. Eyes. So, uh, spoiler for the movie, by the way, if you haven't seen it by now, it's not a spoiler, but the scientist who's supposed to save the world shoots himself in the brains the second they land on the ground trying to find patient zero. So, he is left on the ground in their airplane... Is it the Brad Pitt character? No, Brad Pitt is left to be the scientist. Well, no, is, he's a meathead. What is Brad Pitt? He's a meathead, period. Like, they don't really say. He's like a he's like a merc, yeah, basically. He's a guy who did something once, and now they want him to come do something like that again. He's like MacGyver? And that's literally about as much as they yeah. define it. In the movie. I have a particular set of skills. <laughs> yeah, like, they should have got Liam Neeson for this part Honestly, of the movie. <laughs> like, you see him making pancakes, watching the news, right. and he's like, Oh, baby, I've been to bad places before. <laughs> Talking to his girls. And then all of a sudden, he's in the fucking middle of the zombie war. Right. Okay. But in any case, <laughs> the whole thing is, like, to hide from the zombies, you have to make yourself sick because they don't want sick humans. They want healthy humans. Why Why would dead uh, organisms, whatever we want to call them, not want to eat... Sick flesh versus healthy well, flesh. Well, they're discriminating carnivores. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they have a very refined palate, obviously, Fair. is the answer to that question. This Fair. begs a question that might get into a really weird place, but would you even know if you were eating a sick cow or a sick pig or chicken? No. 
See, I mean, think about it. You See, probably the mad cow disease plague of yeah, 2000. We've all probably eaten a lot of sick animals before. So, so you're saying that the zombies are actually much smarter than we are. Yeah. Because Let's go with if, that. If they can, if they're <laughs> if able they to distinguish, <laughs> without even tasting, by the way, and without even no. seeing, because they're blind, if I recall correctly. Seems right. Yeah. Somehow they're in the movie. Able they're to... blind in the movie. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there was a question in the book about if they could see or not. They didn't know. They don't blink or something. Yeah. They don't use yeah. Eye fluids or yeah, something. Something so. like that. Yeah, that's one of the ways the army can tell who's a Z, who's a Z, and who's not. Again, was, a Zach. A Zach. Thank you. Again, Zach. the pseudoscience Zach. is grinding my gears. <sighs> so Sean other... would only prefer to read The Martian, and that's it. No, even that had problems. <laughs> <laughs> you know what my pick is going to be, and it yes. will be brilliant. Yes, it will be good. Of course. There was one other great moment in the film, though. I, I I'm just recalling now when Brad Pitt detonates a live hand grenade in a in on the airplane in an airplane that is flying in the air. Were there snakes on that plane? That's fucking no. Awesome. Oh, that was snakes. gold. That was great. And that then was all, cool. everybody one by one gets sucked out into the air. Does he get sucked out cool into the air? No, no. He, he's smart. He straps himself in. And, well, wait the yeah. fuck? He blows and the airplane. And Israeli Mossad agent who yeah. he chopped off her hand mm-hmm. to save her from the zombie plague. Yep, was she a sexy Mossad agent? Not really. She was competent know. in her skill set. Which is more important, right? Totally right. in the zombie So wait a minute. Now, he blows up an airplane. Yeah. How does he survive? No, no, no. He in detonates an, a in live the seat. hand grenade. He doesn't blow the plane up. Yeah. Oh. So it blows the side of the plane out. Yeah. And all these people get sucked out, and it's fucking awesome and badass. And then yeah. the plane hits the mountain, but doesn't crash right into it. No. It just sort of skims it's a it. Fairly, it's like a sully... Sullivan landing, is, but on land, is not this water. the same like plane crashing into a mountain that you said was a metaphor for the whole thing? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's the Seriously. only plane crash we see. I, I think... told you this is the this is the the high point. This is the zenith of this particular. You guys have saved me a rental. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I did not pay anything for it because, again, shout out to your public library. I got it from Blu-ray wow, on public library. I and threw $4 to Amazon for that shit. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I still kind of want my donation back to the library. I, I need to know, was this a Miramax film? Was Harvey Weinstein involved in their production? Oh, no. It was a Columbia TriStar. Oh. Yeah. The same people that brought us Ghostbusters. <sighs> I like the reboot. Get out of your house. <laughs> Get out of my... Another one for the Patreon right there. No, that reboot Watching the, Goose, God the Ghostbusters reboot. God awful. Oh. Oh. All right, all right. God, we'll man. We'll get to that later. We'll get to it later. Well, we could do a whole cast on Mel Brooks movies and then on reboots oh, of famous 80s franchises. Yeah. <sighs> Real quick, favorite yeah. Mel Brooks movie? Damn, that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. I've, a tough I've one. taught Young Frankenstein. That is to a film class because it's consistently ranked as the greatest comedy of all time. Is it? And I forget to mention that at this point, I'm dealing with 21st century students who have grown up in a different world. And when the monster tries to rape Madeline Kahn, yeah. I got a lot of flack for that. Yeah, that one doesn't play well. And I kind of forgot about that part when I was like, oh yeah, this is, this, I used to watch it as a kid, no problem. That was really funny in the 1980s. Well, that part, I'm like, I never got it when I was younger. And then I'm watching it going, oh, my God, no, he really can't do that, uh, no. even if she enjoys it. And yeah, that's, okay. so a lot of his stuff doesn't age particularly well. well. I mean, Blazing Saddles is is would probably be my pick, but you sure as fuck can't show that to uh, no. <laughs> a young audience nowadays. Yeah, and that's my issue. Like, do I look at it from the now me who is like an ally and a, you know, obviously believer in women when they say that they've been assaulted and that sort of thing. Right. Or do I look at it as 
this is what played when it was made. Right, because... Well, that's the Lovecraft question, too, well, isn't yeah, it? Well, yeah, fucking Lovecraft. Point. We almost called this podcast Cthulhu and uh, Cocktails for that reason. Lovecraft coming up sometime. Yeah, You're assuming a pronunciation, by the way. Yeah, the I unpronounceable am. Elder God. <laughs> <laughs> you need tentacles, I think, to properly pronounce that. I'll work on it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you might get that. <laughs> I snapped the chicken wing in half in the mic before. I think that was pretty much close to how you're. Oh, to I'm just gonna edit that in. Yeah. Perfect. Um, but yeah, no, my favorite's airplane, man. Well, that's not Mel Brooks. That's, yeah. Oh, that's, his, that's the Zimmer or Zucker Brothers, right? Or, it? I, I don't remember. I Leslie thought he Nielsen's wrote it. Zuckers, the Zuckers. I can't. I, uh, Mel Brooks is not in airplane. No, no, Leslie Nielsen's. Leslie, Leslie oh, Nielsen's Leslie Nielsen holds that down. Yeah. All right. I thought I was confirmed when you said airplane earlier, oh, so just we're say gonna space edit this shit out. Just say spaceballs. Space we know that's space what you're thinking. Spaceballs. Space no, uh, that that it was barf. It, you know what? That movie got so much shit when it came out, but I was such a kid. I remember yeah. like loving every goddamn minute of that movie. Is gold yeah. to me. Yeah. It is absolute yeah. brilliant. Like my brother and I will still quote that to this day. Like we'll be doing stuff around the house. I'll be helping him move something, and like like we'll we'll pick like a we'll take the drawers out of a out of a, a out of a dresser and move it, and I'll be like, oh yeah, that's much better. I can do this all day. And like we're like we're we're quoting this shit yeah. out of nowhere. It's... I see your Schwartz is as big as mine. Exactly. <laughs> see how you handle it. Yes. <laughs> Such good shit. And I feel maybe I picked that because. I feel more comfortable saying Spaceballs than Blazing Saddles. Though I loved Blazing Saddles when it came out. You know what a Dark Horse choice could be if you guys haven't seen it? Maybe you need to. It's Robin Hood Men in Tights. Oh, I fucking love that. No, I love that movie. That is a fantastic movie. That is a fantastic <laughs> movie. Dave Chappelle's first Dave appearance, Chappelle. I believe, in a film. Oh, Remember, as we man. say this, yeah. fighting COVID. Yeah. That's true. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He'll be fine. Robin Hood, oh, so. he'll be fine. Yeah, I hope. Men in, men in Tights, though, solid pick. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot that was a Mel Brooks, though, embarrassingly. Yeah. History of the World is also really good, only because of Hitler on ice. <laughs> that, like, 30 seconds of yeah. just Hitler, like, ice capades. I mean, the best thing about Mel Brooks is he's not afraid to look at taboo, to look at something that you're not supposed to make fun of. Like, that movie came out in the 1970s, right? Right. And you mm-hmm. think about how few years removed that was from the Holocaust... And the fact that Mel Brooks, a Jew, who, you know, I know, I believe he lost family in that. Just, you know, it's like his sense of humor conquers all. It's like, you gotta, you gotta lighten things up. And I don't know if I'm making the right statement about this, but it's just, it it, it just feels like, like, that's the best thing about, about Mel Brooks is nothing is too like sacred, right? And I think that's the real strength in it, is that it, humor really, truly can conquer all. Humor can heal anything. And I gotta somehow tie this back to World War Z. <laughs> okay, and I know how we the, do this. There was no humor in the book. Mike's got you. <laughs> I know how we Mike's tie it back. All right, help me so out here. I'm saying yeah. this about Mel Brooks. Yeah. And we talked about how Dave Chappelle is in a Mel Brooks movie, and I believe this is his entire ethos as a comedian, is tackling very sensitive issues mm. in our society yeah. with humor. And, of course, he's suffering from COVID right now, which is a global pandemic that is affecting our society. And that is what World War Z is a metaphor for. 
Well you, done, sir. You do not want to fuck with Mike when it comes to like six degrees of separation. I know. He's got that. <laughs> Note to self on the next podcast. We need like one of those little metal ding bells. Yeah. When someone gets a point, like ding, you know. <laughs> Keep a score here. Yeah. Well, Mike, that was that was point you. Point yeah. you. All right. Yeah. Mike, Mike's like one. <laughs> All right. We have anything else to say about the movie? <laughs> no, that was pretty much it. Like, why did Max Brooks do it? Well, money. I mean, I mean, sure, <laughs> sure. It was entertaining. It was tension. Not what I would consider a zombie film, even in the like I love when you push boundaries zombie film. Right. It to me, just hearing you guys describe it, and I I can remember brief clips of like the promo reels on TV. It it sounds almost like what we were debating earlier with the I Am Legend idea if they're zombies or not. Yeah. And you've got like these running like super fast twenty eight days later style kind of zombies, right? I, in the movie, right? Not from the book. And again. That it, it that's weird to me. Like like you mentioned, I am legend. Are they zombies or not? Right. No, they're just diseased humans, right. or metahumans, or whatever you want to call them at that point. And I think that's where Hollywood has a really hard time with the, the real idea of of a zombie, like literature zombie. It's either you're all in on the rotting dead thing, or you, I don't know, you take for granted your audience's intelligence and you try to give them something that they can swallow, because honestly. Again, I think I mentioned this earlier. I don't know if we actually recorded it, but the idea of a zombie, a rotting corpse that is animated and moves, is absurd. It is absolutely 100% absurd. But it makes for beautiful cinema, right? And it's just the idea of it, though, is just so bizarre. And it doesn't work. So I think with that, like... And almost, I almost blame Christopher Nolan for this idea of, like, you have the gritty realism. It has to be realistic. Like, Batman has to have, like, realistic origins and things. A zombie's got to be Sigh. real. So, like, I Am Legend, right? It's this cancer cure that turns them all into weird, like, yeah. basically they're allergic to the sun. And they all sound like the guy from uh, Faith No More. Who <laughs> who actually did the sound of the weird vampire things in that movie. Whoa. Get the fuck out. Deep yes. cut. Yes. yes. That's what I'm here for. Right there. Nerds of the yeah. Old Republic. <laughs> Deep cut. Faith No More. I can't remember the guy's name. The lead singer there, he did the voice of the zombie creatures or the, the vampire the creatures vampires, in... Yeah. Uh, I am legend hmm. and then you, again with this it sounds like whenever you've got this sort of like meta zombie almost you wouldn't even call them zombies I think Walking Dead is probably the best uh, like film version we've got in recent times of what a real zombie is supposed to be and even that's not real if you look at the honest like history of zombies and you go back and you look at like voodoo religion and all these types of things and where the zombie origin comes from it's it's like a person who's drugged basically it's it's not really what Hollywood makes it to be. I think George Romero kind of like took an idea that sounded cool when he read about it, about maybe he went and learned about it when he was in Jamaica or something, and turned it into something that has become a whole different subgenre of um, of sci-fi and, and fantasy. One of the interesting things about the book, I think that connects to this point, is I don't remember exactly what character it was, but some military guy, and he's talking about the different logistics of fighting a zombie army. And he, he was goes, the veteran. Right. Yeah. And he goes into like, you know, you can't attack a location. You can't disrupt their supply line. Mm -hmm. You can't like, you can't shock and awe a zombie. Exactly. Shock and awe. Yeah. He mentions that. Yeah. Exactly. And he's like, because they're just mindless and they will just keep coming. There will be no surrender. You have to kill every single one of them. And I think that's always been, you know, the, the strength and the weakness maybe of the zombie genre to Sean's point. 
the strength being like, it's terrifying to think about fighting an enemy that isn't something you can match wits with. Mm. It's just a mindless thing that will keep coming at you. But then the weakness of it is, as you said, the science, like what, what actually is a fucking zombie? What makes it tick? What makes it work? How does that work? It's so weird that my mind works that way. Honestly. Yeah. Why do they need to bite humans and eat? Because they're not fueling anything well, they, that's in their point. dead I flesh. never thought about that. Well, now they, we've just destroyed the zombie uh, subgenre for me. Well, Max Brooks, to his credit, he called it, what, African rabies? And it's like, I guess yeah. you would call it like a psychological compulsion, even though, again, there'd be nothing to feed the, the brainwave synapse, like, going off or anything. And it's bizarre that my mind works that way. I can't suspend disbelief. For undead creatures roaming the planet and eating like living flesh, but like you know, laser swords and, and you know, like hobbits and rings. Oh yeah, I can suspend disbelief all day for that. There's an entire undead army in Return of the King. Well, they're uh, not. They're uh, not. They're not zombies. They're not zombies. No. No, they're it's men who need to keep an oath. Deep men. Uh, that's right. They're bound no. by their oath. It's so exactly. it's explained. It is their spirit. <laughs> yes, I can buy a, an army of spirit men, <laughs> killing a, a real life army. But I can't. I cannot. A, a person rising from the dead with absolutely no cause. No, I, sorry. I, I think can't there do is it. an important fictional difference here, though. <laughs> I mean, I think. I think the conceit with something like that army from Lord of the Rings is that it, it's it's magic and magic exists. Exactly. Sure. Yes. Sure. Whereas the idea behind the zombie is it's it's always scientific or medical in yes. nature. So you want an explanation for it. If there was magic pixie dust that made zombies, bring it on. Fine. Game yeah. on. I got this. That's right. But because it's supposed to be something medically or scientifically based, I just can't buy it. Mm. So I'm going to bring the conversation back full around to Dead and Breakfast, even though it's got auto-erotic asphyxiation. But, like, that one, the source of the zombies is magic, essentially. It's Eastern magic, which is fairly racist. And I apologize for liking a movie that has some fair amount of racism in it. It's really hard to avoid in anything that's, like, 20 years old or more, you know? Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. But, like... So what we've learned today is Sean needs realism if you're going to use the word science, medicine, or vaccine in it. (laughs) I don't care. I like blood and gore and miss the jump scares. And um, where are we at with the book? Would you give it a recommend or a no? Yes or no? Hmm. I would recommend it. Okay. Because, as I said, I respect... This was my Bruce Springsteen analogy. Mm. I respect it. Didn't necessarily enjoy it. Won't necessarily read it again. But it is a really, I think, unique piece of literature. The The oral history being done on that scale to tell a global story with potentially hundreds of characters here. Um, I mean, it's worth it for that experiment alone. And on that merit it succeeds like i mean i think that Agreed. max brooks were he here would not like much of this conversation <laughs> no. but i feel that he would argue that he wrote the book he intended to write and i think he did a nice job from that standpoint i think it's worth it for that reason um i wouldn't i wouldn't say this is a book i would come back to numerous times for sure though fair i um sean i also feel that as a piece of writing, it's a really fascinating thing to read. And I think if you're into that sort of um, pseudo-historical, 
sort of um what's the word I'm looking for? like I don't know, like speculative fiction documentary or, yeah yeah documentary like a Ken Burns zombie kind of thing like that's kind of what it is it's it's uh it's interesting in that regard honestly I I don't think I would have picked it up had I not been required to do so for the podcast well thank you but uh it's um it's something I don't regret reading I don't know if that's an endorsement or not but I don't feel like I wasted my time. I don't feel like I would sit there and say, like, God, don't read this piece of shit. But I also don't feel like I'm going to go out to people and say, like, hey, you got to read World War Z. That thing is fucking dope. Like, I just, I I, I don't feel that. And I don't want to say I'm meh, because I'm not meh. I hear a meh, though. No, I hear a fence-sitter. But, but I'm not, because there were some genuinely interesting moments. Hmm. And, you know, I read it. I didn't, like, force myself to sit down and read it every night. I found myself going to the book saying, yeah, I want to read this. And, you know, Max Brooks, if you're reading this, I think you did it. Or if you're listening to this, you're not reading this. If you're listening to this, I think you did a great job with it. Agreed. It's, it's interesting. It's something different. And that, to me, is the ultimate success of this book. It's not the same old shit that we're, like, constantly, I'm not saying forced to read, but, like, that's just out there. It's something that is unique. It stands on its own right. Um... And I think if you're just into that genre, if you're into like historical fiction kind of stuff, if you're into that documentary-esque and you like zombies, sure, go ahead, pick this book up and read it. But, um, I mean, aside from that, if you're really not into those things, then I'd say skip it. All right, all right. A lukewarm, tepid endorsement from Sean there. Yeah. <sighs> I was going last because I don't know how I feel about this. And maybe that is me saying that I'm going to sit on the fence too. Um, the fact that I didn't keep the copy when I first got it probably tells me all I need to say. Same thing. It was really interesting. And I love how realistic it feels, especially now that we're living through a global pandemic that's killed over 400,000 Americans at this point in time. Um, because a lot of the things that happened in the book played out in real life when we experienced, uh, a pandemic. Thank God, not of a zombie nature. I'm going to say read it. But... Don't buy it. Borrow it from a library. Sorry, library! Max. Sorry, Max Brooks. <laughs> Get it from the library. This is me making fun of Sean and then sitting on the fence and saying, <laughs> eh. But I will make a hard stand and pass on the movie. If you want an interesting zombie movie, pick yourself up the original George Romero films. Watch the three. Watch the reboot. Pick up Dead and Breakfast. Anything. But do not pick up World War Z. <laughs> I am sorry. All right, so there you have our recommendations. A resounding shrug. Yes. <laughs> I guess for World War Z. I'm sorry, Max Brooks. It was intellectually intriguing, but not genre bending or pushing in the way that we were hoping. But I got. I'll add this addendum. Sure. I I want to read Hedger more. Bats. I want to read more from him. And I, I don't know. I didn't do any research on this. I don't know if he's written anything else since. Not much. He wrote prior to this something called the Zombie Survival Guide. Yeah, I don't want, yes, I don't want zombie though. Novel. I want something from him that's just something else. Yeah, because yeah. I think there's there's something in his style that I liked. Yeah. There's something there that was compelling. I just I, I want something other than non scientific zombies. Is he, is he a victim of his own success here in pushing the genre in a way forward that was? Successful, but not as intriguing, maybe. Let me tell you the most entertaining thing Max Brooks has done. This is brilliant. I think you'll all agree with me. He gives speeches now, and he makes a lot of money, apparently, giving these speeches. 
great, good for him. Envious, wish I could do that too. But the best part is how he ends his speeches. At the end of his speech, he invites a member of the audience up on stage to help him demonstrate the best way to fight a zombie, should one ever find themselves being attacked by a zombie. Love it. So the audience member assumes the mannerisms of a zombie, which he's very clear that they are slow, and they come at him, and he assumes a karate stance, <laughs> at which point he then turns and fucking runs right off stage. The <laughs> <laughs> yes, because we all know... That's what I would do. That is entertaining yes, as hell. Absolutely. Nicely done, Max Brooks. Yes, you know, yes. honestly, he's missing an opportunity to kick some fans' ass on <laughs> stage. Too. Who's the Who's the biggest dick out in the audience? Yeah, who's the heckler? Punch that guy right in the face and then. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. So hopefully you enjoyed this conversation from us nerds of the old republic. I'm Adam. I'm Mike. And I'm Sean. And uh, before we go, I just want to remind you that you can find us on all the socials at Nerds of Old Republic. Uh, that's Instagram, Twitter, and the Facebook. If uh, Mark Zuckerberg hasn't ruined that dystopian landscape even further. And uh, Mike, before we go, do you want to give a plug for our next book since it is your pick, sir? Yeah, so uh, for our next podcast, we'll be reading Snow Crash, a uh, classic novel from the 1990s. The author is Neil Stevenson. Neil Stevenson has uh, been a towering figure in speculative fiction for a couple decades, and he's written so much that is so brilliant. We picked Snow Crash on the surface because it's kind of the one that uh, made his name, but uh, really we picked it because it's the shortest one. <laughs> They're all about a thousand pages long, and this one True is fact. about 480 pages long. Yes, so, totally thank you. Um, but yes, Snow Crash, very excited to read. All right, cool. so if you are listening and want to follow along, look for us in the next month, and we'd love to uh, have a conversation with you on all the socials and then chat with you after if you've read the book too. Uh, make sure that uh, you follow us on all the socials, and uh, we'll see you next time, everybody. Are there comments on these things? Can people like talk to us? They can. Tell us what your favorite Mel Brooks movie is. Yeah, that's I'd a like great. To, I'll post yeah. that on Instagram.